You're listening to The Warblers, a Birds Canada podcast. I'm Andrea Gress. And I am Andres Jimenez. Join us as we travel on common flight paths with our guests gaining insight and inspiration from the world of birds and bird conservation in Canada. On today's episode, we talk with Drew Weber, the coordinator for Merlin Project at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, and Jody Allaire, the director of community engagement at Birds Canada, about the implications and limitations of artificial intelligence identifying bird sounds right in the palm of our hands. I think I've been wanting to make this episode since 2015. Since the very first time I downloaded the Merlin Bird ID app, I didn't know I was going to make this episode, but I'm so glad I'm making it. For those of you that are new to birding and birds or new to birding phone apps, Merlin Bird ID app is an app available on Android and iOS developed by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. It was first launched in 2014. Back then, It made many people happy by providing a bird guide with photos, descriptions, and maps for users, but for free, for free. And when I first discovered it, I downloaded it immediately and have never stopped using it. Merlin is designed to be a birding coach. It asks you the same questions that an expert birder would ask to help solve a mystery bird sighting. For example, It takes years of experience in the field to know what species are expected at a given location at a given time. Merlin provides you something called likely birds, and it narrows down what you can see then and there based on data, meaning based on the reports by other people. Merlin returns this knowledge to the user from more than 800 million sightings. Let me pause for a second so we all let that sink in. 800 million sightings. I have been testing the app in the field and can't help but feeling mesmerized by this new tool. I get to talk with Drew Weber, one of the masterminds behind Merlin, and with Jody Allaire, one of Birds Canada's very own, about the technological breakthroughs in AI, that is artificial intelligence, and the implications for people to start learning more about the natural world, and also the implications for bird conservation. Welcome, Drew. Can you describe yourself? Yeah, so um, I'm Drew Weber. I am the coordinator for the Merlin Project at the Cornell Lab of Ornithology uh, in Ithaca, New York. I coordinate the development of new features in Merlin and also the, the global expansion of Merlin to include more species and work pretty closely with the eBird and Macaulay Library teams You know, when we're thinking about you know how to reach uh, new users, train new users to you know, create more more data for eBird. Uh, so I work very closely with lots of lots of those folks at the lab. Drew, as I get it, you are a birder, and I want to ask you how did your journey start, and how did it move into making apps for birders, as you describe yourself on Twitter? I would kind of say I've always been a birder, but uh, as a very casual birder when I was younger. Um, you know, my my grandmother had one of the original Peterson guides. Uh, my dad would point out birds when we were out on bird walks. Um, and so, you know, over time, I think I got, uh, you know, a little pair of, uh, trainer binoculars when I was 11 or so. Um, 
And so just this interest in birds was kind of always in my background. Somewhere in the, and this is, this is according to my brother, but somewhere in the, the uh, high school range, um, I started listening to some of the Peterson audio guides. Um, you know, they kind of teach you how to like tell the difference between, you know, chipping sparrow, uh, dark eyed junco, tricky things like that. And apparently I would subject the entire van load of, uh, high school students to this bird CD, uh, day after day. Um, that, that sounds risky <laughs> in high school. That sounds super risky. <laughs> totally. Um, it's a, it's a much more, it's a bigger memory for my brother than it is for me. So I have a hard time, uh, knowing how often I actually did that. Um, but then in college, I actually had some chances to do some bird banding, uh, bird surveys, and that really, uh, got me into understanding that, you know, there's you know, the possibility of bird, like doing something directly with birds in my future. And kind of while all this was going on, um, was also really into, you know, computers and, you know, setting up websites and eventually my brother and I, uh, created some simple bird apps, which led me to working with, uh, the bird's eye, um, bird's eye birding company, um, which created originally the, the bird log app, which is the precursor to the eBird mobile app. Um, and also the bird's eye bird finding guide. Wow. Um, app. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was working there for a couple of years. Um, and, you know, eventually the eBird app moved over, over to Cornell to be developed in-house. Um, and then they were looking for somebody to run Merlin. Um, and, you know, Merlin ended up being very similar to the, uh, the bird's eye bird finding guide as far as like what, what they were working on with building bringing in content and features and things like that. Um, so it was a very natural move for me to start working at the lab directly on the, the Merlin app. Very cool that we're you know reaching over eight thousand species now with the app. How many people? Um, so we we've, we've had downloads of over six million, um, and so that's that's kind of like just continues to accelerate year after year. It's continued to grow, um, especially with the the Sound ID launch. That was a a huge um, jump in new people discovering Merlin, um, and also people continuing to use it. So we generally have like you know a million people using the app each month around the world what i've gathered from this is that merlin emerges as a way of trying to get more bird data am i correct to understand that merlin itself isn't collecting additional data you know we really like to think of merlin as being this broad engagement tool that introduces people to birds helps people get better um, at bird identification um, so and then hopefully contribute. you know as they're as they're confident at identifying things they can start submitting stuff through eBird itself. Before we go any farther with Drew, let's hear from Jody on what is the main difference between Merlin Bird ID and eBird. These are two apps by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology that will change the way you bird. Absolutely, and they sort of feed into one another. Um, you know, eBird is a free online checklist program where you can enter all of your bird sightings it's set up so they can keep track of all of your lists and all the birds you've seen everywhere, which is amazing. And all that data is used to help uh, look at population patterns, movements, and, and changes over time, which is, which is really, really important. And with eBird, you can upload photos, you can upload audio recordings, um, which is really fun. And 
there's great tools that you can explore and see the birds around you um, and find out if there's any, you know, unusual birds in your neck of the woods, um, you can set up to get an alert for that. So it's a really great tool for birders. And and it's really taken off in Canada. You know, over the past year during the pandemic, we had about a 30% increase in, uh, in, in the number of users, over 28,000, in fact, in, in Canada using, using eBird, which is, which is just phenomenal. Merlin was, was really built as a tool to help people build their experience and build their knowledge base with identifying birds. Um, and certainly focused on, you know, people that were birding, you know, independently or, or maybe just starting out. So, um, it started off originally with just having uh, asking you a series of questions, and it would help narrow down the, to the identity of your mystery bird based on what's in the eBird database for that area at that time of year. So that's amazing. But now it's taken it to another level by by using AI to identify photos of birds and and the sound recordings. And what you can do now with Merlin is that when you identify something, you now have the option to feed that data right into eBird and you can start your eBird journey uh, through Merlin. And, uh, and I think that's a great way to start right now. Now let's go back to Drew. Why would people want to know which birds are calling or singing? If you can't see them, you know, and you don't know how to identify them by sound, you know, these birds are pretty much just a mystery. It's a black box to you and you have to, you know, you have to go and like search each one out and, um, you know, get a visual look at it to identify it. Starting to identify some of these birds by sound really unlocks your ability to, you know, understand what's going on in the world around you. You can, you know, you very quickly pick up, you know, that there's like a black capped chickadee here and a white breasted nuthatch here. And, oh yeah, there's a hairy woodpecker calling behind me. Um, without, you know, having to hunt down each one of those, you know, and being lucky enough to actually, actually find them. Um, so just being able to like, it, it broadens kind of the, the radius that you can sense birds around you. We found a scarlet tanager two minutes later because I started looking for it after Merlin kind of flagged it for me. So, you know, success stories, here's one. So Drew, with that in mind, the visual interface of it makes me think that this would be one of the ways that people that are deaf can be able to appreciate and understand some of the dawn chorus that is previously unaccessible. Yeah, you're totally right about that. That was actually one of our our biggest surprises um, after we released this. You know, pretty much immediately we started getting emails from you know people who have various hearing impairments or difficulties. Um, just being so thankful for this, you know, tool that lets them visualize the birds that um, they can't hear and then also identify it for them. Um, and so then they're able to, you know, see that, you know, there is a scarlet tanager around here. I can, you know, go look and, and see if I can actually find it. Um, and so it's, you know, for people who have lost their hearing, it's kind of bringing some of that that back to them. And for, you know, folks who have always struggled with, uh, you know, hearing impairment, um, it's kind of unlocking something new that they probably thought they could never experience. On that sense, Drew, before we move on, tell me about the accessibility. I have spoken with blind birders who mentioned the biggest challenge they get is confirmation, knowing that the sound that they think they're hearing is a specific species and that it is, in fact, that species. Will this app be accessible for people with disabilities that, for example, require screen readers? I would say we're just starting to explore some of those pieces. Um, 
you know, working with Cornell is very interested in the accessibility of um, our apps and websites. Um, and Apple is very interested in helping us out with, with that. Um, so I expect that is something that we'll be looking at more in depth uh, in the coming year or so, um, just to make sure that this is actually working for, you know, a wide range of, of people. But I, I don't have a good sense of um, how well it's hitting that note for, you know, perhaps the, the blind user currently. Yeah, I, I know of a lot of blind birders that would benefit from having this a verification, particularly because they can struggle to find a birding partner that can go mm -hmm. with them and verify the sound that they're listening to. How does the AI ID a bird? It's taking the audio and converting it into a spectrogram. So a spectrogram is a visual representation of you know the the vocal signals so you can you know if you're if you're used to reading sheet music or anything like that you can kind of follow along with you know the pitches as they go up and down on the scale sound id is converting to this image and then it basically is doing uh, the equivalent of photo id for that spectrogram so it's taking a three second chunk of audio and then predicting in that three second chunk, you know, which species actually occur. Um, and so this could just be, you know, no species, or it could be, you know, one species, or it could be many species that um, it thinks are in that three second chunk. And the additional thing that we do to make it really, uh, you know, that, that makes Merlin really powerful is where we're relying on all of this eBird data. So not only do we, you know, have the model predicting what bird it could be, but we have the eBird data that is saying, well, actually this species doesn't occur here, so we'll filter that out. Or this species does occur here, but it's rare, so we'll we'll show you know a rare icon. Um, and so we you know have multiple different uh, data sources that really help us show the best results for you know any situation. So the AI is transforming audio into an image and then Correct. making a prediction about that image that the AI is seeing, but it's using other eBird data like time of year and, uh, and distribution of a certain species to make that decision. We'll be right back. The Warblers is supported by Feather Friendly. Birds can't see glass and millions die each year because of window collisions. You can save dozens of birds by treating your windows with Feather Friendly's DIY kit or their commercial solution for large projects. The markers are easy to apply and they work. Double your impact using the code BIRDSCANADA and Feather Friendly will make a donation to bird conservation. Keep birds singing. Treat your windows with Feather Friendly. Visit featherfriendly.com. Now, Drew, the latest version of Merlin Bird ID incorporates AI, artificial intelligence, to identify bird sounds. How were you able to achieve this? The story of how we were able to pull this off really goes back like you know 10 years ago. Um, some of these AI tools were just really starting to come online. Um, Facebook and Google and all these all these folks have been pioneers in that area. Um, and it started to become more clear that, you know, there is real, real potential for birds and birding um, in this sphere. AI tools really need lots of data and it needs to be high quality. 
And fortunately, within the eBird ecosystem, you know, we already have this setup of, you know, having regional reviewers that are going through the data and, you know, verifying things and, you know, constantly, constantly cleaning up the database of sightings. In 2015, we also added the ability to upload photos and audio directly with an eBird checklist. And so, you know, we brought photos and audio directly into that you know, data quality flow. In the past five, six years now, eBirders have uploaded 30 million photos and audio recordings. Going back a couple of years, that gave us enough data we needed to build the photo ID tool that's in Maryland currently. So we can, you know, using a photo that you take, identify you know, eight, just over 8,000 different species um, just from that photo last spring. We were looking at our audio collection um, and we were just hitting a million recordings. And that was kind of like a, a threshold we had set for ourselves way back. Um, you know, once we get a million audio recordings, you know, we should be able to pull off sound ID. Uh, and so, you know, that's kind of what launched us really starting to dive into it last year um, and work on work on the, the tools that we needed to, to build sound ID. So the, the big pieces that uh, actually drive uh, the accuracy of sound ID. We're having experts go through each of the files that we trained, uh, trained the model on, um, and they note you know, exactly where the bird sings. So like the start point and the stop point for each bird. And they're also doing this, you know, when you're recording birds, um, if, if you've done this before out in the field, you know, it's really hard to record just one species. You know, there's always like another couple species that are singing in the background. And so these sound ID experts were also, you know, marking where these other birds were singing. And so taking all of that, you know, data of, you know, where exactly in, you know, these um, like 50,000 audio recordings, where the, where the birds were actually singing, uh, we were able to train this model to be able to, you know, I basically localize where in a recording a bird was singing, um, as well as be able to identify birds that are singing at the same time which is always like a, an additional tricky thing, but really enables us to give that live view where you're, you know, seeing multiple birds light up at the same time because you're, you know, in some incredible dawn chorus where, you know, you have like several species of warblers and chickadees and titmice and stuff going all at once. So it's, you know, really built off this uh, clean data that we're able to bring into eBird and then all this additional, um, we call annotation, uh, marking the start and stop of each you know, bird vocalization on these 50,000 recordings. So we had about 70, 70 folks working on that for the past year um, and created about quarter million annotations of these start and end times. Um, and so that's what, that's what forms the basis for the 458 species that we currently support in the U.S. and Canada. What I'm getting is that you use 30 million photos. 1 million recordings, 5,000 eBirders, and 70 people creating, 7-0, creating annotations, uh, marking where all these songs start and end, just to prepare the data to feed it yeah. to the <laughs> yeah. AI. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, the, the data is really the, the powerful thing, um, you know, making sure it's, you know, accurate recording or accurately classified to the right species and um, good quality recording. Um, and then also the other thing is, you know, you really need a good, a good sampling of the different vocalizations that a bird makes. So, you know, something like a, um, 
you know, house rent, which has pretty variable localizations, especially, you know, if you start to extend down to the, the rest of its range across, you know, Central America and especially like you know, mm -hmm. the birds in Brazil sound quite different. Um, we, to be really accurate, we need to you know, have good representation from all the areas that the bird, um, the bird occurs and then, you know, all the different song types and call types that it has. To our listeners, if you are listening and you've ever used Merlin Bird ID to identify species or to learn from the data that it brings you, I would like you to join me into giving a standing ovation to the 5,000 plus eBirders that have been ensuring the quality of the data and the organizations that have supported because this is, this is information that is returning to us and it's absolutely amazing. Uh, a friend from Costa Rica received an email from Cornell saying, thank you so much. We've used your recordings for the preparation of the sound ID. So also, Drew, congratulations on kind of letting these people know that you've used their data and that they have played a part in this. Oh, that's, that's awesome that uh, your friend was a part of it. Yeah, we were really excited to be able to like share some of these, these uses of people's audio recordings and photos. You know, periodically we try to send out um, uh, email to everybody who has a, you know, a sound or a photo featured in Merlin. Um, and you know, it's cool because it's, it's a really large community of people that are contributing these things. And it's a fun way to kind of like give back to them for the, the amazing, you know, photos and audio that they're creating. How many Canadian birds are supported? Uh, I did not come prepared for the Canadian <laughs> subset <of> there. <laughs> so, um, 458 species are supported, and there's uh, basically the the more commonly uh, the more common vocalizing birds of the U.S. and Canada. Um, so that's kind of where the majority of our users are. Um, it's where the majority of our audio recordings are from, and so that was kind of the easiest place to kind of launch this first version. Um, so does like, it work in Central and South America? So the app uh, will record in Central and South America. It will, uh, for those 458 species, some, some of which are widespread, um, it will show results. Um, but uh, at least what it should be doing for most species, you know, if you have, um, you know, I'm of course blanking on, if you have like a, yeah, a, a cubicle toucan or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should just have what I expect is that it will just not show anything, right? I see. It, it shouldn't. It shouldn't have a false positive. It shouldn't show the wrong species. I see. Um, I yeah. tried. I tried to trick it with uh, chipmunk. It didn't give me anything. <laughs> <laughs> Good. So, yeah, chip, chipmunks and some of those birds, uh, some of those like non-bird things that you hear in the forest, you know, yeah. insects, different squirrels. Um, yeah, they're they're definitely things that are challenges. Okay, this uh, is gonna for, sound, for anybody learning. This is going to sound weird, Drew, but I was dying to have this, but for frogs. I absolutely adore frogs. And identifying yeah. frogs in the tropics without this is super, super tough, even though they can have very different calls. And so, yeah, frog people, if you're listening, talk to Drew, get one of these for frogs ASAP. Can the machine be tricked by a mimic? Is the mockingbird Merlin's nightmare? Yes, <laughs> it can totally, it can totally be tricked. Um, you know, if, if it's, if it's making a good enough imitation that it's going to confuse a human, it's probably going to be able to confuse Merlin. Um, and it's definitely very interesting. Like when you have a, a really talented mockingbird out there singing, um, you know, the, the whole spectrum of, uh, things it's imitating, um, 
it's really fascinating to see, you know, what Merlin is uh, producing as far as results. You know, it's pretty good at figuring out that there is a mockingbird, but some of those imitations are just, you know, spot on and it's going to start showing those um, as well. And so that's obviously something we can, you know, continue to improve on with more, more data and that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, these birds are like, they're, they're really good at what they do. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I kind of expect that we'll have to find other, other solutions for like suggesting the idea that like, oh man, there's a bunch of random stuff here. Maybe you should consider that there might be a vivid here that uh, you should look for. <laughs> so what are the, the, the limitations for the, for the machine? Is there a maximum number of species calling at the same time that it can ID? Would this start blurring together the sounds in a, in a visual? Since it's using that spectrogram, I would expect, you know, we haven't tested this, but, you know, I would expect, you know, if you have a certain number of birds um, singing at the same time, it's going to be really hard to pick out any signal from all the overlapping uh, birds. But I've definitely seen it, you know, identify, you know, at least three birds at the exact same, you know, they're vocalizing at the exact same time. And sure. that seems to work better if there's like, you know, a high pitch bird, a medium pitch bird and a low pitch bird going at the same time it would probably work less well if, you know, it's three high-pitched things that are just kind of overlapping each other. I'm pretty sure that so many people have asked you that very same question, how many birds can Merlin ID at the same time? And <laughs> this makes me think, how can people contribute to helping Merlin achieve judgment date? <clears throat> Sorry, to identify more birds, not to take over the world, even though it would be funny for a bird app AI to take over the world. <laughs> uh, hopefully a benevolent overlord. Yeah, yeah, um, that, that's what I'm thinking. You know, it could be a good one. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, so, um, you know, the, the best way for anybody to contribute to, you know, how well Merlin is doing is to just go out and record the birds around you. People are really into bird photography. It's super common. And, you know, at this point, pretty much every species that you're going to encounter in Canada has many, you know, amazing examples of, you know, beautiful photos uh, from every angle, right? You can make entire However, calendars audio, of loons. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, you could have your <laughs> song sparrow calendar and your chickadee yeah, calendar. Entire. Um, <laughs> with like 24 months each. With, yeah, exactly. Yeah, with, with audio, you can actually make some pretty novel contributions, um, you know, just by recording some of the common birds, just because so many fewer people are out there, you know, recording birds every day. Um, and so you can, you know, help us get a broader representation of bird songs, you know, across its range and, you know, in every, you know, every county or every uh, province, um, you know, just by uploading those audio recordings um, with your eBird checklists. We actually, you know, set up merlin you know the sound id feature to be a pretty good audio recorder you know as far as you know as good as a as a phone can be it records it you know in a in a wave format so it's you know exactly what we're hoping to archive in the macaulay library um, and so you can basically you know record something with merlin um, export it to your computer and then upload it right to your ebert checklist um, and that's a that's a great way to contribute um, if you're if you're really keen um, at identifying birds by sound already and want to help build and improve the data set, um, you can actually help us with those annotations. Um, and so if that's something that like you're interested in, you can totally get in touch with me or anybody at the Macaulay Library. What's your Twitter handle, Drew? Um, I am at Drew Weber, two W's, one B. He's super responsive on Twitter, so people can reach out to him in case they want to contribute. It 
fills me full of hope, Drew, because many friends that do not know how to contribute because they're not super good are at identifying birds or they're not experts, right? Or they don't have a huge camera to take photos uh, or many people that might be blind and have always felt that citizen science and contributions to this are away from their capabilities and they could start recording birds. Yeah, totally. It makes it, it makes bird song much more accessible to people than I kind of even really expected when we were working on this. I hadn't really quite, you know, envisioned in my head, you know, how much of my birding is really by ear and how much, you know, the birds that I'm picking up and adding to my checklist are, you know, herd only birds. And so it's really cool to think of, you know, having this like handy pocket tool for people that give them some of that same experience um, and that they can have that same experience when they're, you know, not with, um, you know, a, a bird guide or, you know, a leader or, you know, another expert, they can, they can have that. Uh, what I like to think of, they can, you know, basically ask Merlin, you know, day after day after day, what is that bird singing? And every time it will just as happily tell them it's a song sparrow. It's never going to get, you know, annoyed, like, oh man, I told you that yesterday or anything like that. <laughs> it's totally non-judgmental, And so it can just like continue to reinforce uh, the, the songs that people are hearing. Non-judgmental. That is, I think, the most favorite part of this episode that you've said so far, Drew. And it <laughs> makes me think of, of birding as we know it. Makes me think about the birding community and how much it has grown through mentoring and one-on-one. -on -one. And I'm, I'm wondering what's the, in, in your mind as one of the engineers, one of the people that helped create this, how do you think artificial intelligence will impact birding as we know it? Yeah. So when, when I think about this, you know, there's you know, different paths that you can kind of go down and how you think about it. For me, it's really about broadening the, the base of people that are interested in birds, understanding more about birds and hopefully, you know, concerned about bird conservation, bird populations and that sort of thing. I think, you know, regardless of how people kind of initially get uh, introduced to birding, some people are going to be, you know, very much a, a solar solo birder. They'll be out there just wanting to, you know, do this all on their own. Um, but, you know, some of these people are going to be very interested in joining bird clubs and, you know, finding, finding a local mentor and going out and birding um, and kind of having that personal experience. Um, so at, at least how I look at it, I think, you know, we're casting a broader net, hoping to bring in a lot more uh, folks uh, to kind of the, the existing social networks that we have for um, kind of, you know, taking birding to the next level. Could there be a risk of it creating this connection from bird clubs and potential mentors or even traditional ways of learning birds? I mean, I, I guess I, I have a hard time seeing that um, that risk because, at least in my mind, these folks that are you know being introduced to birds through Merlin are are folks who would otherwise not have kind of gone through that avenue at all. At least I don't I don't see you know these technology pieces as driving more people away from the social aspect or the um, the bird clubs. Um, I see it as, you know, we're just opening up the birding world to more people and, you know, some of them will choose to be really social and engage in, in clubs and things like that. And some of them might not. Why is Merlin free? 
Merlin being free is a, a pretty important component of you know what what makes Merlin cool, at least for me. The stereotypical birders um, in the U.S. and Canada, you might think of like being older and having more money, uh, but that's definitely not the um, you know the full picture, especially when you start looking across the entire globe. Um, and so, if you know we want to get folks really into birding in Africa um, or you know Latin America or in the urban you know centers like New York City or something like that, to have the least barriers possible to getting somebody to their first ID. So they kind of have that spark moment and get interested in taking it further. Just making it uh, free and not having that um, blocker of, you know, 99 cent payment or, you know, needing to have a credit card or anything like that, I think just makes Merlin a lot more accessible and equitable. Merlin helps people learn about birds easily and accessibly. Yes. Does it have a role in bird conservation? We're using Merlin as a way to train up people who can confidently and competently identify birds. And so the idea is just to make it, you know, really smooth for people um, who, you know, get hooked on birding to kind of take the next steps to contribute into a much larger cause um, through the eBird system and, you know, all of the, the science products that are coming through eBird. Having heard all about Merlin Sound ID from Drew Weber, we turn to Jody Allaire, Birds Canada's Director for Community Engagement, and we talk to him about the possibilities that this new tool brings for people to start learning more about the natural world around them. Jody, you, of course, are the producer for The Warblers, and we're so happy that people will get to listen from you today. And tell us a little bit about your sound IT journey. Yeah, learning to identify birds by sound, it... Uh, it, it absolutely took some time. And there certainly were not the tools available when I was a teenager uh, that we have now. So for me, I was relying a lot on, you know, field experience, you know, getting to know the birds in my backyard and, and a lot on, on my birding mentors that, you know, the, the people in the, the birding clubs I would go out with when I was a teenager. So certainly a much longer journey, uh, a much more difficult journey uh, when I was starting out uh, than it is now. Jody, can we quiz you? Absolutely. Before you listen to the quiz, you should know that I made this super challenging for Jody, like it would be in the field. I played the bird sounds at an extremely low volume with bad quality, and Jody could barely hear. This means that what you're listening to is super clear in comparison to Jody. Let's hear how he did. Okay, I play the sound, and then when I pause it, you can let me know what you think it is. It does sort of sound like a dark-eyed jungle. Oh my god, it's a dark-eyed jungle! <laughs> That's super awesome. Okay, 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 let's try another one. I think it's a hermit thrush, actually. It's absolutely a hermit thrush. That sounds like beer, beer, bee, which is black-throated blue warbler. Good job, man. That's a black-throated blue warbler. Okay, okay, okay. Now, this one's going to be harder. I first thought house wren, but there's actually something kind of winter wren-y about uh, that. It's a winter wren. Good job. <laughs> next one. Next one. 
Because, friends, this is exactly how identifying birds in the forest sounds like. Sometimes they are louder, and other times they're super hard to listen, and they're all the way in the background. And so Jody is actually... We found a funny way of making this super realistic, and so we come to the next one. Yeah, okay, uh, sounds like a chipping sparrow song. Oh my god, it's a chipping sparrow! Okay, 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 the final one, the final one. Oh my god, this was too much fun. Okay, next one. What was that? Are we getting something outside of North America? Yes! Oh my god, you're so good at this. It's is it is it a so is it a sol is it one of the solitaires? It like is a, a solitaire. <laughs> <laughs> so people, this was me cheating. <laughs> this was a bird from Costa Rica. A black face solitaire. Ah, see I've never I've actually never heard or seen black face Oh solitaire, my god. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> All right, so this is how good Jody is with sound ID. And so Jody, having done this quiz and having all the listeners know that you are super wicked at this, how has the birding world changed over the past 10 years regards to how people learn to identify birds? These technologies, these new technologies will help engage new birders, you know, and and give people the tools right off the hop to get out there and start connecting more with their, uh, the birds in their yard and the birds in their local birding patch. And, um, and I'm one of those people that thinks, you know, this, this technology is very positive and it can actually build more connections, uh, to the natural world. I, I think certainly you could go, you could go the other way in a sense that, you know, it is a different way to learn uh, to learn how to identify birds. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Could it be too consuming that you spend too much time focusing mm -hmm. on your device and not enjoying the birds and bird migration? Yeah, that's certainly a risk, right? And so I would definitely be using the, encourage the use of these, you know, within, within moderation, because part of the, one, you know, the best, one of the best things about birding, right, is, is spending those times outside. Is there a justice aspect of having AI doing something for people? And how will this impact the relationship of people to their mentors and birding clubs if that was the traditional way we had for learning? Birding is always fun to do with others, right? And I think during the pandemic, you know, we've been doing a lot of independent birding, but, you know, birding is fun with, with a group, right? I, I certainly enjoy that. I certainly enjoy being out with others and, and showing people, uh, you know, new birds. And, and it's just really, to, to me, it's just such a wonderful experience, you know? So I don't think it'll ever, re ever replace that. And I think there's lots to be learned, uh, birding with others. And, and, but I think what the AI and, and what tools like Merlin Bird ID allow people to be is is a little bit more independent with with their learning. Um, I think there's always going to be the need for that for that social component, and uh, and for those who you know haven't spent time at at a birding festival like Wings Over the Rockies or the Point Pelee Festival of Birds, like, like these these festivals are such a just a wonderful opportunity to to get out with people like you, right? Like and enjoy birds. One of the things I like is that 
this technology does provide some independence for people. And certainly those that, you know, may have dealt with gatekeeping or, or any exclusive acts uh, that have made being part of a birding club uh, not appealing. This gives them the opportunity to, to continue on, on that journey, you know, Jody, and I think that's fantastic. For those that might be new to birding, what is the type of gatekeeping that one could encounter? I see less of this now. For sure. It's certainly a pretty, pretty big pet peeve of mine. I'm not a fan of this at all, but it's, it's essentially gatekeeping is, you know, when people have, um, uh, you know, a birding club or maybe even an area and they want to keep it sort of to themselves it, and they only maybe allow people that are, uh, that are worthy, um, mm -hmm. like to, to be allowed into the club kind of thing. And I, I think this used to happen a lot more. Uh, where you used to have clubs with meetings where you had to be invited to come. It wasn't just open to the public. We are seeing a lot less of this. And I think in those areas where these, these types of things used to exist that, you know, they have been dismantled um, and they're now more inclusive. So I think it's certainly a positive trend, but it, it's still a thing. Right. And, and, um, and birders, uh, well, I think we should be open to anyone and everyone. Right. And we should be making birding as welcoming uh, to as many people as possible because birding is wonderful. It's an incredible way to connect with nature. And, you know, if you, if you want to make help make a positive change, uh, towards how people see and act within the environment, well, connecting them with birds, like their first Northern Cardinal or, you know, or their first Stellar's Jays is certainly a great way to do that. Will we still need field birders in the future? Or the AI will be so well-trained that setting up a recording allocation will be enough? Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, I think we're always going to need field birders. I think, you know, in, in situations, um, let's say, you know, in northern reaches of Canada, this is actually a, a topic of discussion for many of the, the breeding bird atlases that Birds Canada helps coordinate across the, across the country. Um, you have a lot of remote areas where it's actually very expensive and difficult to send in field birders. This type of technology could actually really help the process of of tracking and finding uh, what's in these remote areas a lot more efficient. You know, when you're looking at the world of bird conservation, you know, there's sort of two big challenges. One is addressing the threats, um, figuring out you know, which birds are in biggest decline, addressing those threats and, and trying to make change, you know, by addressing those threats. The other element of conservation is the engagement side and, and getting people more, the more people we have birding, the more people we have engaging with birds outside. I, I really strongly feel that those people are, once they're hooked, are going to have a different worldview. It's a really transformative experience, right? To connect with birds in the natural world. And I, and I feel like the people that build those connections are, are it's going to affect their life choices and it's going to affect how important the environment is to, to them. And Jody, many of our listeners that are new to birds are going into their phones right now to look for these apps, which are the top or the most favorite apps that you would recommend for them? I like to have a field guide app. On, on my phone. There are a couple of free ones out there, which are okay. Audubon does have a free bird ID app and it certainly does the job. Um, I really like the Sibley Guide to Birds app. Uh, there is, it does cost, I'm not even sure what the cost is these days. It does cost a, f a fair bit, but it's just a wonderful app. And there are other others as well, but I really like the Sibley one for Canada. 
for learning your bird songs. And, and this is something I absolutely would still encourage people to do and not just necessarily rely on Merlin all the time, but, um, you know, study up and start learning your bird sounds, you know, and it does take a bit of practice, but the extra studying will really pay off in the long run. And there's this great app uh, called Larkwire where it sort of gamifies the process of learning your bird songs and you can access it either on your desktop or as an app on your phone. I really like those. Uh, for sure, everyone should download Merlin, especially if you're if you're just starting on your birding journey. That should be the first one. And the eBird app is is free as well. So you know when you're when you're there and you start wanna you want to start entering your data so that uh, uh, ornithologists and conservationists can start using that to to monitor bird populations. You know, please consider downloading the eBird app. So I think that's a good good starting point. I I have for doing audio recordings. I have. Um, an app for doing audio recordings. Um, I think it's the road, uh, microphone app. There's a free version and that helps, uh, helps me organize my audio files a little bit easier than just, just on my phone. But yeah, so that's what I would start with. We'll be right back. The Warblers is a podcast of Birds Canada. Our goal is to bring you the information you need to discover, enjoy, and protect birds. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast with everyone you know. Birds Canada relies on the support of donors like you. To learn more or to make a donation, visit birdscanada.org. And if you give, please note the podcast in the comment box. Even with all the technology, I think in some ways there's no substitute for getting outside and, and, you know, listening to the birds sing and, and tracking down the birds. I think one of the bits of advice that one of my birding mentors gave me, um, was if you hear a strange bird sound, just find the bird, track it down and connect that, that unknown sound with the bird visually, and it'll just lock in. And for me, that worked. You know, so I spent a lot of time outside, like listening and hearing so many things I didn't know what they were. Um, but trying to find the bird that made the noise really helped that learning process. So I think it, it is really important that that uh, when people are learning bird sounds, there's there's obviously those great the great tool with Merlin to help you do it. But get out there and and start, you know, consciously trying to pick out all the different sounds and songs try to find the birds that are making unknown noises and do some studying, whether it's through using an app like LarkWire or just listening to uh, recordings and maybe even getting a, knowing what birds are around uh, for, you know, month to month, even in your own yard. Um, that helps along that journey because chances are the strange noise you're hearing is probably from one of those, you know, common birds that you find uh, in your yard. All right, friends, you've heard it from my Canadian birding mentor and one of the best birders there is, Jody Allaire, there's nothing more fun than being out there listening to the birds with AI or without it. So get out there, listen to birds. On our next episode, Andrew is going to be back with us. This is it for now. Jody, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Andres. The Warblers is produced by Andres Jimenez. 
Jodie Allaire, Ruth Friendship Keller, Andrea Grass, and Kate Dole. This episode was edited and engineered by Greg McLaughlin, with theme music by Jose Mora and artwork by Alexander Nico. Until next time, keep burning. <laughs> <laughs>